0: Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. I want to welcome you back to this special series that we've been in for the last few weeks. If you're new and just jumping in with us, it's a series called Closer. And we're all seeking to get closer to Jesus. You can't miss that target if you've never considered the desire or the fact that Jesus wants to be close to you or you've been walking with Him for some time, there's always new dimensions and new understandings of who He is that He brings so much to our lives when we desire to get close to Him. I'm gonna ask you if you have your Bibles to turn with me. In the New Testament, I'm gonna put some scriptures on the screen from other places. In Matthew though, Matthew 28 verses one through six, is where we're gonna find our moment with Jesus, because we've been following these moments with Him. I wanna welcome those watching online, welcome those that are watching as well in our 1230 service by video. Welcome our McKinney campus that are streaming with us. Would you put your hands together and welcome with me all those that are joining us right now. So we've been in this series. How many of you guys been enjoying this series? I've been enjoying giving it to you. I've been getting as much out of it As uh, I know you have, because I've heard many of your reports along the way, but we've been trekking along through these moments in the life of Jesus and seeking to let the Bible come alive, let the person of Jesus come alive to us and apply it to wherever we are in our journey. And uh, I wanna celebrate something with you though, and that is our our next generation ministries, our, our youth and teenagers, junior high and high school, uh, one of the things we do here, it takes a lot of work, energy, resources. I want to say thank you to all those that will host teenagers here this fall for this special moment, all of those that are group leaders and toting young people around. Uh, we have a spring retreat where we go off campus, but we have a fall retreat where we go into homes and we have this moment with teenagers. And In the spring, we had about 500 teenagers studying the topic of sexuality and God's desire for us in that area. How many of you know we need to help teenagers in the next generation? We need to pour into them and help them with understanding God's heart for them. And uh, the reason we do these kind of moments is, is that we believe like never before, teenagers need moments where they can turn off their devices, they can be alone with God, they can get in his presence, and we've seen some of the most dramatic impacts in the lives of young people through this. And so I wanna encourage parents. In fact, I think about a girl named Olivia that I, that I met her and her family in February in the foyer. And when I meet a new family and they have teenagers, then I, I, I implore, I encourage, I double-dog dare, I condemn, I don't know, I do whatever, come on now. Uh, I, I really encourage them to, to get their kids in these environments, because it makes such a, a radical impact. Olivia said she, was, she struggled a little bit through junior high, and got a little bit in the wrong crowd, and she went to our spring retreat. And by her own, she, t- she kind of typed me out a little testimony of all the things God's been doing. And she said, I'll, I'll never be the same after this spring. And she said, "I went in her own words, I went all in with Jesus. She's been bringing her friends from her high school and God's just radically impacted her. And so I I can't encourage you enough, parents. Um, I have kids at all different phases, one in college and one in high school, one in junior high, one in elementary, somebody say, pray for them, Lord, come on, I got it all covered. And my own children have been impacted by these environments. My kids play sports, they play piano, they swim, they whatever but these environments put something in them that'll long outlast their athletic career. So I can't encourage you enough to do whatever it takes to move that schedule around to get them in this environment. We love what God's doing on Wednesday nights, but just a few moments away can be impactful almost as much as several Wednesday nights. So we have a table in both Uh, campuses here at the Keller campus. It's right over here by the door. We have people there ready to serve you. You can sign up online. And so we're having our our big fall retreat. I think the title is Someday Is Now. And uh, I can't encourage you enough to get your young people involved in it or maybe one that you might know in the community. Well, this week we're we're going to a a few little places we're gonna start in a garden, we're gonna to go to a hillside, and then we're gonna to go to the, this is not hyperbole, this is not preacher exaggeration, this, this is the truth. This is the place, this is the largest moment. This is the moment that changes human history. This is the largest, if, if, the, if Jesus' story here that we've been in We've went from the banks of the Sea of Galilee. We've gone up north to a, a cave. We've we've been out on the water. We've been to a mountainside. This this is the moment. If Jesus' saga were a movie, this is the part of the movie where you don't want to get up and go to the bathroom. I I took my my daughter. I took her to watch this you know a small feet or small whatever it was about a yeti I think anyway. Um, we get all, kinda get all our stuff laid out in there. We, she loves to go on a date with her dad. And you know, I even get into the kid movies, you know? And so you don't, you, you don't wanna, you're getting a little older, you gotta go to the bathroom, you know what I'm saying? You drink that big gulp, you know? you know, okay. And then you're kinda watching and you, you, don't wanna, you don't wanna miss kind of the big apex moment. I tried to get my kids to watch Tombstone the other day. You know, that's a great movie. They're not into it, say when. I'm your huckleberry. You don't want to miss that part. You know, why Johnny Ringo? You look like somebody just walked over your grave. (laughs) Yeah, they're not into it. But anyway, you you don't want to miss the moment, okay? In this series, this is the moment. This is the major moment that changes all of human history. You say, Pastor Jeff, why is it the moment? Well, well, it, it fixes the biggest problem in human history. It solves the biggest problem. All of us love to solve problems. We like answers. We like solutions. And here's the problem we have. Nothing in life moves toward, naturally by itself, moves toward life, moves toward order. Everything moves toward chaos. It's just the way we are. We want a hope-filled. We, we want the good things. We want life. We don't want death. That's what we want, but we don't know how to produce it. We try to produce it, we try to fabricate it, but everything naturally, the big term is entropy. Our our cars break down, our bodies break down, our world breaks down, it just breaks down. You don't have to make it break down, it just breaks down. We start, sometimes based on your personality, you know, you could start even higher than some, but we start with the big idea the great hope. This is going to be awesome. And by ourselves, we end up with a lot less than what we hope for. You know, it's like if you're single and you're a young lady, it's like, I'm going to marry a hunk of a man, six foot tall. He'll watch Hallmark movies in the fall with me. He's going to be just awesome. He'll be rich. By the end, you're like, I'll take an average guy with a job. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's just like I'm gonna raise world-changing kids. They're never gonna sin. Get you a few. <laughs> I'm just trying not to kill them. <laughs> that, uh, I'm going Whole30. No sugar, I promise. This time I'm really gonna do it. Middle of the week, I'll have some pizza and some bluebell. come on. <laughs> we, we just kinda slide downhill. We wanna go uphill, but we just slide downhill. So without an outside force, an outside person, an outside impact, we naturally move toward death. Things die. That's where they end up. Marriages without this person die a slow death. Our relationships die. So it's not just about the concept of death, it's when death comes to our door. Death and despair in our soul. Death and despair and unable to forgive someone else. Like I wish I could forgive, I wish I could get rid of the chains that bind me. I don't know how to do it on my own. I don't know how to make it happen because I slide the wrong way, not the direction where I wanna go, it just happens and so, To change the power of death, you need someone more powerful than death. We're gonna go to a place where that became possible because Jesus overcame death. Watch this with me and we'll come back and unpack it. Jesus knew what was coming. He'd known for many years. The night started with a celebration. He'd shared the Passover meal with his disciples. History would remember it as the Last Supper. But on that night, there was reflection, betrayal, and many comforting promises of hope. After the meal, Jesus went over to a garden at the base of the Mount of Olives to pray. It's more of an orchard than a garden, and its name, Gethsemane, literally means oil press. Jesus came to this place as the weight of the world was pressing in on him. The stress was so extreme, some of his capillaries burst, causing him to sweat blood. Instead of running away from God, Jesus pressed deeper into his Father. He prayed and cried out to him. He asked his closest friends to go with him and pray. They agreed but three times he went to check on them and all three times they were sleeping. More than the sting of betrayal, Jesus felt the crushing weight of the sin of the world closing in on him. The problem came into the world in a garden and now the Son of God had returned to a garden to forever make right what had gone so wrong. Jesus could have called down an army of angels to his defense. He had done nothing deserving of death yet he chose to lay down his life out of pure trust and obedience to his father. Judas brings a mob of people to the garden and drags him away. He's falsely accused, thrown in a dungeon, beaten to the edge of death, humiliated, and forced to carry his cross through the streets. As he walked to Golgotha, a hill that is eerily shaped like a skull, he passed those who had been changed by his words, his healing touch, and his life. Because of Jesus, they had seen God. They'd been in his presence. They'd experienced the power of his kingdom. And now their greatest fear had come to pass. The light of God had come into the world, and now that light had gone out. Bloodied, beaten, and broken before their eyes, he said, it is finished. And he breathed his last breath. All hope was lost. When it seemed like hope was lost, it actually wasn't. Death didn't have the final say all because of what happened right here. We've been on a journey together. We've been looking at how to be close to Jesus. Whether you've found yourself at some point in your life close to Him or you've never been close to Him at all, because of what Jesus did right here, He made it possible for us to really be close to Him. And so I'd like us to look at Matthew 28, verses one through six, where we look at a most powerful event that ever happened in human history. We're gonna look at these verses together, but preceding this, we see in fact, because there's some theories that, well, what happened here and what we're about to read, it, it wasn't real, you know, Jesus wasn't really dead, He just sort of passed out, of course we know, from the description of scripture, that in fact, there was a physical beating and physical things that happened to him that, that he knew because he, he knew about crucifixion and he knew as he went into it, he would experience that, but there's no way any human being could survive, first the torture, but then on the cross, we know a spear was stuck in his side and blood and water came out. But even more importantly, as we read the preceding scriptures to what I'm about to show you, Pilate was concerned about it. The one who sent him to that brutal death for you and I, he was concerned that there would be some kind of fake thing happen or that his disciples would come and steal the body, so he himself said that look, there's a deception that can happen. He even referred to Jesus as deceptive and said go put a guard in front of this tomb. Put a special seal in front of it, in fact. So we make sure that nothing fake happens in this moment. So with all of that and that perspective, we read what happens right here when it seemed like hope was lost. At the darkest moment, right at the darkest moment, the light begins to shine, Matthew 28, after the Sabbath on dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were like white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. They were paralyzed by that moment. And the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was just crucified. And these are the most powerful words that have so much hope for every single person who trusts in what happened here and through the person of Jesus Christ. He is not here, he is risen, just like he said he would. You know, as we think about that moment, we think about being close to Jesus, this moment, no doubt, changed human history. It changed the calendar, it changed even people that as I've been here in this moment that are coming from all over the world to find out about this Jesus that changed the the, the education, the the medicine, the lifestyle, Just, just whether you receive him as Jesus Christ, the son of God, which I do, either way, I believe him to be that. I believe that this is a moment that happened. The fact is every person has to attest to the fact that he made a massive impact on human history. But if you're willing to trust in who he is as a person, one who died, was buried, and yes, rose again, there's a whole different experience of being close to him. The fact is, it's overwhelming to stand in this place. Even as I walked up to this tomb, I found myself getting emotional, but we don't even worship this tomb. We don't worship the stone. We don't even worship the spiritualness of the place we worship the person Jesus who rose from the dead from this tomb and here's what the meaning of that about being close to him is and that is that the dead things in our lives come back to life he didn't come to make bad people better he didn't come to make people with problems get a little bit more self-help to try to fix their problems He didn't come to say, look, I've given you a way of life that you can strive more, different than any other religion on the planet. He didn't come to give us a new set of rules, a new way to live by or standards that we can't meet. He came and he did it for us, and he made it possible through his resurrection for us to be close to him. And as we think about that today, he brought dead people back to life not bad people that became better. And he wants to bring the power of his resurrection into your life. Well, the moment is is so big Really, a series of moments from a garden where Jesus works through the struggle and sweats blood and yet says to his father, If this is your desire, then I'm willing. To to a cross that has become symbolic to so many people, but was an excruciating death. And then to a tomb where they find it empty because Jesus rose from the dead and is alive. Different than any other religion, he's alive. It's so big, it's so huge, it's, it's so monumental. I began to think about you because our goal in this series is not just to have information, but for it to be real to us, for us to have revelation of it. How does that become real to us? And even if it's something you've heard about, how does it become more real to you today in your everyday life, in your walk, in your faith. So I began to think about you. I thought, you know, sometimes when something's so big, it's hard to unpack, maybe the best thing to do is to make it real, real simple, okay? So my father, who's an engineer, I I sometimes think, okay, I wanna try to diagram this a little bit and, and kinda just make it real simple. I don't know if there's any of you that are kinda problem solvers. It's like, I just need to get it down to the most basic level, and so I, I thought about maybe explaining it to you this way with this little graphic. First of all, we're, we're broken people. We're, we're, we're broken people. We don't have to learn how to be broken. We, we just are, are broken. We're, we're broken be, because of the fact that we're born with the brokenness and we have the brokenness touch us in multiple different ways. We, we have seasons of time where we feel some of the brokenness, we feel unfulfilled and And here's the sad thing. Sometimes it's not just brokenness that comes to us. Sometimes, many times, if we're really honest, we do the breaking. We we break other things and people and the brokenness in people's lives are because of our own mistakes and missteps and problems that we have. And yet the challenge is we serve a perfect God or we desire to be close to a perfect God. So with that, it leaves a gap. It leaves a gap between a perfect, holy God. You see, I don't want to worship someone who's not perfect, who has the same problems I have. So there's a gap between our brokenness and his perfectness. And as simple as I could put it, that's why this moment is so big. Now, now so many people for centuries, we've tried the same things to try to fill the gap. We know there's a gap. And so what we do a lot in our culture here is we try to fill the gap with doing good things. We try to do the right thing. We try to fix it. We try to, hey, I'm going to get better. I'm going to try to improve spiritually. I'm going I'm to try. You sit maybe in a service or you hear a podcast or you hear a friend talk about God and you say, you know what, I, I got to turn over a new leaf. I got to get better. I got to solve some things. I got to try to do better here. The only problem is you have a little moment and if it's you trying to fix it just in a few days later, you're doing worse than you were before you said, I need to get better. And so we put a little lipstick on our problems, we put a little little, little out exterior on our problems and try to think, you know what, I think I'm getting better, I think I'm going to do better. So a lot of times even we'll think, if I could get rid of all the other people that are causing the problems. If I could get all the other broken people out of the way, then I then could not be so broken. Remember, a lot of times we're doing the breaking. That's this, by the way, there's one way of, you know, a lot of people measure themselves because they don't know there's such a gap there they can't fill. A lot of people, what they do, again, they try to surround yourself with someone more broken than you. You know, that's why you need a good heathen friend, you know? You're like, I'm broken, but that guy, he's off the reservation, man. He's a real loser, you know what I'm saying? but we're not being measured. The gap can't be filled by someone who thinks they're a little bit better than somebody else. The gap is you have to get to a place of perfectness, rightness, wholeness, completeness to be able to be close to a perfect God. And what's becoming in many circles today more popular and maybe, you know, with a more information and more intellect, we think we're smarter than God. We think that we can kind of figure our way out and so what we can do is we'll just try to fill the gap by diminishing the perfectness of God. So maybe if God's more like us, then we won't fill the gap. We won't try to, try to see such a hole in a gap. The message of Jesus, I don't know if you've ever heard it, I don't know how in tune you are with it and your need for it today, no matter where you've ever heard it or experienced it, is that Jesus knew this. Jesus knew we're not good enough or strong enough to get close to him. We're not good enough, we're not strong enough, we'll never do enough to get close to Jesus on our own. That's why he came to us. Here at the Keller campus already this weekend, I met a man in his 60s who came up to me with tears in his eyes after the service. Looked like he was a well-put-together guy. If you passed him on the street, you would think, man, this guy kinda has life all together. Looked kinda like, man, okay, comes up to me with tears in his eyes. He said, I've lived my whole life, and I never knew that. I never knew that, and he was religious. He did religious stuff. He was trying to do religious things. He said, tears in his eyes. He just stood there, just kept crying, said, pastor, I didn't know, I thought you know, God was mad at me, God was not ever able to be reached, that God, you couldn't be close to him, and in fact, every time I was around anyone in his presence, it was like, you need to be a little more afraid of the fact that you are imperfect. I didn't know that the gap could be closed. The message of Jesus, and the reason we celebrate his death, his burial, and his resurrection is, Jesus filled the gap. Jesus filled the gap, and that's the whole story of Jesus' life. That's, if you're saying, I don't understand the Bible, that's the whole message of the Bible. That's the apex moment of the entire thing. You can sum it up right there. Everything in the Old Testament points to that moment. Everything about Jesus' life points to that moment. And everything about walking together in spiritual family and relationships in the church and trying to see lost and broken people, see that gap filled. That's what it's all about. You're like, well, that's great, pastor. What does it mean for me? How do I experience it? Remember, we're trying to get an experience ourselves. How do we experience what Jesus did for us? How do you really experience it? How do you make that little diagram and that story and that person that seems so far away, how do you make it real in your everyday life? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to acknowledge the death. There, there are people like, why do we sing these songs, you know, the blood of Jesus, the, the cross, at the cross, at the cross. And I've always been amazed by that. In fact, we sing it and I know many, many people who they come and maybe sing that song or they see, even if they don't come to church, they see a cross around someone's neck. They, they see a cross in someone's house. They, they see that and it's like, well, why is that a big deal? Why do some people every time they see that or think about it go, oh man. It's only if you really understand how powerful it really is. Now, now it was an excruciating death You could not punish a Roman citizen this way. But in Jesus' day, you would walk down the road and there would be people slowly dying on crosses. So when Jesus was headed to the cross, he knew what he was facing. He knew what was going to happen. But it's not just about the physical act of the cross, this excruciating death, it's what happened at the cross. But you have to acknowledge in your own life, you have to acknowledge that death. I've done many, many funerals in 20-plus years of being a pastor. I'll never forget my first one. My ministry guidance professor asked me, said, "Will you want to do a funeral? I was scared to death, man. I didn't know what to do, man. I didn't know what to say. I, I was just trying not to mess it up, you know. When we were standing there with that green carpet at the graveside, I just try not to fall in the hole. You all know what I'm saying? I'll never forget. But it was a man who was just a few months shy of 100 years old. A 100 years old, and man, I sat with him at the last few moments of his life and just talked with him, and man, he was born in the 1800s, this was in the early 90s. He was born in the 1800s, and I'll never forget the moment I had, my first funeral, the moment I had, after all of sitting with him, watching him take his last breath, ministering to the family, going to the viewings, having this service with which I tried not to mess up, there was a moment. And this moment has happened multiple times for me. It's the moment in the journey where all of that's over, where there's no more activity, there's no more funeral to plan, there's no more services to plan, there's no more songs to sing, there's no more fried chicken to eat, but at the end of it, I stand right there at the head of the casket after all the friends have passed by, and the funeral home attendant says, this is your last moment with the body. And the the casket is open, there they are, and I always find myself, just, just, just my compassion, I kinda put myself in that place, but I'm always, I'm trying to be you know, the stable, strong pastor to be a, a strength for them, but inside, I'm just emotional because I, I watch them experience the finality of it. It's the final moment. Now some of you are like, I know where you're going, preacher. No, no, that's not where I'm going. You know, it's like, well, you're gonna die, you are. Heaven's a real place. Hell's a real place. Eternity is a long time. That's a true statement. But my goal here is not like when I grew up, we'd tell stories of death and funerals and somebody crashed their car and you could leave today and crash your car. That's not necessarily my goal. My goal is for you to understand and acknowledge that the cross was not just done for you. It was done by you. And until you come face to face with that and realize your sin put Jesus on that cross. Not someone else's sin. Your sin put Jesus on that cross and until you personalize that, it doesn't have impact on you. It it was my sin, it was my need, it was my personal inability to fill the gap that took Jesus to that place. And it's in that moment where you kinda go, okay, this is a death and it's final and you close the casket, and you walk away different. By the way, the people that I've experienced in that moment, how they see death, how they see life, how they see Jesus, it affects even how you walk through that. That's just a side message. But for you, you have to come kinda to your own graveside. You know, the Bible says, we're buried with him in that death. We, we go to the cross. Paul said that I preached the cross and him crucified. Peter stood, when he stood up, he couldn't even stand before a servant girl and admit he was with Jesus, but in his first message he said, this Jesus who you crucified. What a bold statement. They said, okay, when you really embrace and acknowledge the death, then you're able to experience the life that comes from that death on the cross, you can experience it personally. You're like, what do we experience from that? Why would I get excited about it? Why would I? There's more power at the cross than you are accessing if you don't understand what's powerful about it. You understand the payment that was made. See, there was a payment made. There was a debt that was paid that you couldn't pay. You can do every sacrament. You can attend church. You can be a Sunday school teacher. You can participate in every type of philanthropic activity. You can help little ladies across the road. You can give to hurting children. You can be on the hospital board. But unless you realize there's a debt that you can't fill, then you'll never experience the life that's found at the cross. Because there's a payment made. Oh, you can't pay the bill. Jesus says, I'm paying it for you. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. See, unless you know the payment, you don't accept the gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God, that's what Paul realized right here this weekend. Wait, 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 wait. A debt I can't pay, the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. That's a gift that you just received. So this is a payment that is made. He makes that payment for us. He, he goes to that garden, he goes to that cross to experience the pain. So many of you who have pain in your life right now. You have problems in your life right now. You're like, does God understand? you lost your job, you have the death of a loved one, you have an illness, you have a sickness, you have the pain of some type of offense or a forgiveness issue. Jesus goes through the pain to say to you, there's nothing you will ever experience that I haven't led the way in experiencing it for you. Every type of pain that you ever will experience or ever have experienced, I went, the Bible says he was a man of grief, he was a man of sorrows, he was one of us, he came to us to experience it for us. So when you lean into the cross, you think, man, whatever I'm dealing with in the area of pain, Jesus took my pain, and then he brings a provision for your guilt. I talked to a guy last week, he said, man, in this closer series, it's like, I I got this guilt, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to deal with the guilt of everything that I've dealt with. I think a lot of times as pastors, it's important for you to become aware of the fact there's a payment you can't pay, but a lot of times in churches, it's like we just kind of keep bringing up your guilt and keep reminding you of your guilt. I find people don't need to be reminded. You walk on the property, you're kind of like, oh man, I know what I did this week, you know? I It's why a lot of people don't engage in worship. One, we haven't been taught about worship. We don't know, but why you don't engage in worship? You're kind of like, well, I'm not holy enough to praise God. You don't praise God based on your holiness. You praise God based on the payment, the pain he took, and the provision that he made for you. You're like, well, thank you, thank you, thank you that I'm not, but thank you that you are. Thank you for what you've done. There's a provision for your guilt that he brings to us in that moment. Two points only, acknowledge the death, but second of all, you walk in the resurrection power. Until you acknowledge the death, you won't see the resurrection power as the life that it is. But once you come to that place, you acknowledge that death, but then you walk in that resurrection power that's available for you. So a lot of people, when they think about resurrection power, they just think about the afterlife. Did you know when we were standing at that garden right there, right across the same hillside as the Mount of Olives. We're gonna talk about that next week, by the way, and the whole interaction of what happens. We went over to the Mount of Olives and I went there in my 20s, but I never saw this or really realized it, but there's multiple graves on that mountain. There's graves all the way down. They put little stones on there to let the people know that they're remembering them. All of them are buried feet first toward the eastern gate because they believe that's the place. Again, it's prophesied that the Messiah will come through that eastern gate. And they're all buried feet first so that when the Messiah comes, which they think will come, which we know through what we just saw that he has come. But he's right there. They say, okay, well, I'm just gonna be in the best position to raise up and be able to walk in my glorified body into eternity and have eternal life. Won't it be awesome when we get that glorified body? Won't that be awesome? I'm gonna get a six-pack abs in the (laughs) I kind of grew my hair out last week a little bit, just kind of, I don't know, I just didn't shave it, you know. But then I got in the middle of it and I thought, well, you know, I think maybe something might, you know, you never know, there may be hope, you know. We're under resurrection power. I went to a staff meeting. Our youth pastor said, Pastor, are you growing your hair out? I said, no, I was just kind of seeing if death had fully reigned on the top of my head. I was just seeing if anything was growing in the garden, but... Uh, death has had complete victory up here, guys. It's not—it's not glorified yet. It's not—it's not under that yet. Okay. So a lot of times we emphasize just the fact, and it will be awesome, will it not? Have a glorified body, have no breakdown. Death has no rain, no sting, no aches, no pains, no mosquitoes. Want to be awesome? But you know what, it's awesome today because eternal life is to know God. And that same resurrection power can live inside of you right now. When you understand the power of the resurrection, you have hope when you lose your job, you have hope when your child gets sick, you have hope when you lose a loved one, you have hope in any circumstance and situation because your hope is not based on temporary circumstances, but you have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you. And that's why life comes to the person who is close to Jesus. Resurrection power starts demonstrating itself over and over in our lives. I I wanted you to get this so much. I, I, I mean, these videos and everything we did is just trying to to make this real in your life, like Paul, or like other people who just say, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm walking through this thing and I, and I don't know how to find that life. I don't know how to even have hope. I, I wanted it to be real, so we showed these videos. I give you this graphic, but I thought one way right here at the end of our service that could really make it real is we could, we could share in that supper that Jesus took with his disciples. Because in a meal, Jesus said, here's what it's all about, guys. When my body's broken and when I sacrifice my life, this is what it means for you. And so I want to I want every person to be able to experience that. I want us to bow our heads though, and there may be some of you here who say, I'm in that place like Paul, I didn't know there was a gap. Maybe you're watching online and you say, There's, there, I did not know that the payment had been made. I didn't know if the provision was made for me, I I didn't know that. But if Jesus has a gift of eternal life for me, I want it. I wanna spend eternity with him and I wanna spend here and now with him. Right where you are, you can just say, Jesus, thank you for filling the gap. It's not even about just my words, it's about your heart. You just say what I'm saying if you mean it from your heart, Jesus, thank you for filling the gap. Thank you for paying a payment I could never pay. I received that gift today. I receive it today, I believe you died for me, rose from the dead, become my Jesus right now, come into my heart and life. If you prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask you to let us know. Come forward at the end of the service or come to Discovery 101. We meet people every time at that who have made that decision. So I'm gonna ask you to take that step and learn about what you need to do now as you become a child of God. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com.